This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straup. It is Friday, July 2nd, and today we have the latest from the Eastern Conference Finals where the Bucks took a 3-2 lead on Thursday night plus a fantasy postmortem on the recently eliminated Los Angeles Clippers. Will we trust Paul George and Kawhi Leonard during the upcoming season? And what about Reggie Jackson after his dynamic playoff run? All of that and more is coming up in just a minute. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Hello. Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. As we welcome in everyone listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube, I'm joined by Raphael Johnson, Ryan Knaus, and Steve Alexander back in the attic after a one-day trip to the wife's office on Wednesday. Steve, do you miss the office life? I do. I do. And I I told them that there was a lot of pressure on me to answer the phone. And uh, we all agreed that next time, yeah. next time I'm in there, uh, that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to be too harsh, but you kind of choked when that phone rang. I feel like it was there for you, and you you, you choked. I was super intimidated by it, man. I I, <laughs> I haven't. I don't know what, how to work that phone. It was scary. Ryan and Raph, I I want to hear from you guys in a second, but I also feel like Steve has a very important update that he's going to shoehorn in here if we don't talk about it right off the top. So, Steve, let's just get right to it. Steve, do you know anyone who's ranked uh, worldwide in Golden Tea? Well. I woke up yesterday morning and had jumped from... I played a lot on Wednesday night. Wednesday all day, really. I, I played a ton of Golden Peak. And uh, I, I've been ranked... You know, I start. I haven't been playing online very long. A couple, <laughs> couple months, really. But I've, I've been playing Golden Tea for a very long time. And I was ranked like 10,000 like four months ago. And then recently, I've been like... 2,500, maybe approaching 2,000. I wake up yesterday and I'm ranked 217th in the world uh, at Golden Tee. And, you know, like I think the, I looked it up, the 217th most valuable fantasy player was Isaiah Roby this year. So I'm sort of like the Isaiah Roby of Golden Tee. Wow. So you're showing promise. Well, and it was, it's, it's a complicated ranking system. I'm sure by the time I look at my phone next, I'll be back in the thousands, if not higher. But I mean, I'm a good player, but I'm not, I, I don't think I'm top 200. I'm not initiated to Golden Tee. So every time you talk about it, I, I always picture Golden Axe, which is a video game I am familiar with. So I picture you as an an axe-wielding dwarf or uh, a, a level axe. two mage, something like this. But I understand it's a golf game. I don't know what Golden Axe is, but I, I'm trying to picture Golden Axe. I'm a video game player from back in the day, but it's an arcade classic. Wow, Check why am out. I blanking on that one, Raph? Do you know Golden Axe? No, I know Golden Tee, but I don't know Golden Axe. Yeah, I'm like a great 
like nine hole golden tee golfer. You know what I mean? I'll crush the the front nine and then things kind of fall apart. You know what I mean? Well, it's it's the the holes get harder as you go along. Well, there could be some truth to that. Probably why that happens. And sometimes after a couple of sodas, your judgment gets a little shaky. You're you're trying out the old C three and the B two when you really shouldn't be, and bad things happen. I went and played uh, played with my new friend Art uh, the other <laughs> night. He's he's literally ranked in the top ten in the world, and uh, he the first game we played, he shot twenty eight under par online, and my best score ever online is like twenty four under. <laughs> wow. So, so do you have to tell, I think we're not going to talk about basketball. We're just going to talk about golden tea today. <laughs> do you have to tell your local machine that we're going online? Like, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. I log, you log in with your phone number and a password and all that. And uh, it keeps all your tracks, all your stats. And gotcha. How, how much money you've spent playing the game. <laughs> That's not a number you want to really be reminded of. It's not a number my wife ever wants to know about or hear about <laughs> or see yet she knows exactly what it is so i'm for sure picturing you rummaging around through like your old trunks up in the attic and old shoes looking for a spare golden tea change dude i was literally <laughs> in my car like looking under the seat for a quarter at one point i had three dollars and 75 cents it happens that's incredible yeah that's incredible all right well, well keep congratulations us isaiah yeah. i mean steve hey thank you <laughs> yeah. thank you very much <laughs> All right, let's talk about what happened on Thursday night because we have to. It was the Bucks 123, the Hawks 112. No Giannis and no Trey Young in this game. The Bucks came out fast. I think they were up 32 to 12. It was pretty bleak early on, and they led this game wire to wire. The Hawks did get it close a few times to make it extra agonizing for us Hawks fans, but ultimately, Brooke Lopez just dominated 33 points on 14 of 18 shooting. Literally every half hook and weird little push shot that he threw up was going in, was rattling in. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday both went off, 26 for Middleton, 25 for Holiday, both with full stat lines. And they got 22 and 8 from Bobby Portis. I mean, their whole offense clicked, shot 50.5% from the floor with only eight turnovers. Ryan, what were your impressions from this one? Well, Brooke Lopez, huh? I mean, (laughs) you mentioned it. What a performance. Just out of nowhere. I mean, obviously, a a, a game plan to feed him, get him going in the paint, replace some of that paint scoring that Giannis, you know, that that his absence left as a gaping hole. But I mean, I was fully expecting Bobby Portis to be that guy. Uh, You know, Brooke Lopez, when you think about his current role, he's rim protector, not even a good rebounder for a center. But offensively, he's usually just spacing the core, right? He, he, Mm -hmm. his role is to almost decoy, draw out opposing centers. And if he can make a couple post moves, great. Um, but and we've seen some awkward moves out of him <laughs> throughout the playoffs, and and even in this we series. We saw him last night. We saw him last night. They were going in. The every awkward shot was yeah. just was just finding net. Sorry, carry on. No, it it was just kind of remarkable and one of those things you just sit there and shake your head. I'm trying to look back as you were talking. I'm trying to look back to see the last time that Brook Lopez scored thirty plus points in a game. I'm back to three seasons ago, and I have not found it. Wow. Uh, so I will chime in if I find the last time he's had right. this type of performance. But uh, it, yeah, I'll, I'll hand it off to Raph or Steve there. Raph, what were your thoughts? Um, I think Bobby Portis was the, the big one for me. Um, moving into the starting lineup in place of Giannis, I thought that we were going to see more of Pat Connaughton. We did, but the production really wasn't there. Portis stepped up in a big way though, on both ends of the floor. We've been, I think a lot of us have been clamoring for him to play more since back about halfway through the Brooklyn series uh, when he was racking up DNP CDs for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But now he's in the rotation. He, he's shown his value. And whether or not Giannis returns for game six or even a game seven, if we get that far, I think if you're in Milwaukee, you kind of like to have, you kind of have to like your chances here of winning this series. Once you get into the finals, then there may be some concern if you still don't have Giannis. But the way in which Bobby Portis played last night, I think that's a bit more sustainable than Brooke Lopez going off for 30-plus again, personally. Which, on that note, the last time he has scored 30-plus was November 3rd of 2017. 
Wow. And in, in that game, he hit six three-pointers. So that's what's just so bizarre to me. For in a game where he didn't hit a single three-pointer and he scores yeah. 33 points, it blew my mind. Yeah, because nobody was guarding him. Uh, he, first of all, it was weird to see Brook Lopez in the paint and playing like the old Brook Lopez before he became a three-point shooter. So that was mm-hmm. odd. Um, you know, Clint Capella wasn't out there for very many, many minutes. He had an eye issue. Maybe that was bothering him. Maybe he was the reason that Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis both looked like all-stars as they were pulling everything out of the cereal box last night. Like, <laughs> it was just crazy. And, you know, the Hawks, you know, I get I get to the, to the restaurant after hosting trivia. I walk in the door, and the, the people are like, uh, Hawks are already down 20, dude. I'm like, come on, not again. This is just like... <laughs> The other day, so frustrating. We can't do that, and then they come back and they cut it to six points, and you're like, okay, as long as we keep it close, you know, at halftime we'll be all right. And then every time the Hawks made a run, the Bucks equaled it and made their own run, and we're never really in jeopardy of, of falling out of control in that game. And if you look at the Hawks' numbers, I know we're talking about the Bucks right now, but if you look at the Hawks' shooting numbers, the only one who had an off night was, was Kayvon Herter and everybody mm-hmm. else, everybody else for the Hawks, their numbers looked fine, but, but right. they just weren't playing any defense whatsoever. And that's, that's the th- thing that scares me a little bit for game six is the confidence that Portis and Brolo got out there just balling out in the paint against the Hawks is going to maybe carry over. Now, I, I really don't think Atlanta's going to lose at home. I think the crowd's going to be fired up, but it, it is what it is. I, it was a it was a disappointing game to watch if you were pulling for the Hawks. Yeah, the the defense and the rebounding was absolutely horrendous for the Hawks. I in from the AP game recap, apparently the game was almost eight minutes in, but when Cam Reddish got Atlanta's first defensive rebound, that's just agonizing. Considering that Cam Reddish wasn't even a starter. Uh, and by the way, speaking of Reddish. I don't know if he's on a minutes limit. I have a hunch that maybe he is restricted to mid-20s right now because otherwise I'd like to see him out there more. And I know Gallinari is not on a minutes limit. I think in a game like that, I know Gallinari's defense can be suspect at times, although he has come up big with a couple defensive plays in these playoffs. But in a game like that, I need Gallinari playing more than 23 minutes. I need him taking more than 11 shots because he had 19 points in those 23 minutes. He, he was manufacturing easy offense. I know it's not always pretty with Gallinari, but the guy knows how to get to the free throw line. He's a great outside shooter. And him in the post, him on the wing, I don't love iso ball, but when Trey Young's out, you got to score any way you can. And I would have had Gallinari playing 35 minutes in that game and see if Gallinari can get 30, because I think that was the path to winning it, Ryan. Who would you have taken minutes from to give them to Gallo? Are you thinking less, less for the wing players, fewer minutes for Herter, who played 38, I believe? I mean, Herter... I know Herter has been good, and Herter has got to play. I mean, Chris Dunn played eight minutes in this game. I realize that was in a a backup point guard role, but man, he had some bad turnovers in his eight minutes. Like, I don't need Chris Dunn playing any minutes. I mean, I think you can go big lineup with Bogdanovich as a point right. guard or Herter as a point guard. And look, I know it's hard, you know, to to manage a rotation in an NBA playoff game, but I do. We have seen multiple times where Gallinari's minutes are kind of low when he has it going, and that's frustrating, especially when the team. I know the defense was a, a struggle, but offense was too for most of this game. Raf. Oh yeah, I'd agree with that because without Trey, you have a serious lack of playmakers, guys who can make plays for other people. So, to your point, I think you may want to see a bit more of someone who can do do some things in one on one spot, like a Gallinari. Right. But I don't know. Like the thing, like Ryan said, where are those minutes going to come from? You know, you give him 30-plus, I guess you can get Herter down a little bit, but he's been essential to that team all postseason. So I don't know if yeah. you want to take away from him. I, it's a tough spot to be in for the Hawks because Okongwu has played pretty well, too. He hasn't played much, but I think he's done a good job in the minutes that he's received. Great job. And with Capella's injury, you know, he's gonna he's probably going to have to log a few more minutes if Capella's limited Saturday night. So... I don't know. Nate McMillan's in a tough spot here. Uh, obviously, that the remedy would be to have Trey Young out on the court, but who knows? It's not like a bone bruise yeah. isn't like a sprained ankle. That's a bit different. So right. obviously, they're going to take exercise some caution here. But hopefully, he can get back soon because that rotation becomes a lot clearer when he's on the court. Yeah, 
Yeah. Steve, were you about to jump in there? Well, I was just going to say a couple a couple things that stuck out for me. I think you could have taken some minutes from Lou Williams last night. I think you know in the first five minutes if Lou Williams is going to be have one of those nights or not. And last night was kind of the opposite of the game he had before where he had zero turnovers. Yeah. He had six turnovers in game game five, which those hurt. Uh, also, the Hawks missed 12 out of 13 shots at one stretch from about the time I walked into the restaurant for the next 10 minutes, they could not make a shot. And, you know, those are, those are the two, two things along with porous defense on the Hawks end. And then, you know, you got a literally a perfect storm from four out of the five buck starters. And I don't know how you, how you combat that. I would, I would say all five, five points and 11 rebounds from PJ Tucker is about the most you're going to see out of he him out. these days. So, so I would say basically everyone, all five buck starters hit Middleton, Lopez, Portis and holiday shot a combined 42 for 78. That's 54%. Hmm. So everything was clicking. That's what Milwaukee needs to win. The Hawks did have a run in the third quarter where they're down seven with the ball. Kevin Herter's on a pseudo-fast break, pulls up for a three, and misses it. That would have cut it to four, and the air kind of went out of the balloon after that. Uh, you know, they had a couple other shots, but that felt like their biggest run, their best shot, and it was pretty deflating. As for Lou Williams, you mentioned the six turnovers. He, he did have one in that masterpiece of a game four, but oh, same point. And... The only good news for the Hawks, I guess, is that Bogdan Bogdanovich is clearly back. He had yeah. 28 points, five rebounds, four dimes, seven three-pointers, zero turnovers. And I think that bodes well for their chances of taking game six at home and game seven you know, in Milwaukee if it happens. Who knows? We're officially in who knows territory with this series because of the status of Trey and Giannis. You're declaring Bogdanovich all the way. Like he's just good to go from here on forward. You're not... The slump is over, and he's he's going to continue to bomb away and hit a career playoff high seven three pointers. I mean, he had six point six threes in the previous game. I think to me, he looks game, like he's back. Game four, he just looked sharper, right? I mean, health wise, you could just see him moving better. In the first couple games of the series, yeah. he was sluggish, struggling. I'm not. I wouldn't jump on to Matt statement and say that his shot necessarily is like all the way back. I mean, he took sixteen three pointers last night. He just has all the shots he wants available to him. Uh, but you know, if you if you're rooting for the Hawks, you have to like what you see. Are, are you still very concerned about him, Steve? You, you sounded like you wanted to push back against. I that. don't know that I'm very concerned about it, but I, I'm not ready. I'm not, I don't trust. Just like I don't think Brooke Lopez is going to come out and have 33 right. on 14 and 16 or whatever. I don't I don't know that Bogey's going to have a big game. What what I do know is we wasted a really good Bogey game and didn't get a win. It, it feels like, and this is something I think you've said before, Steve, on Twitter, if, if not on the podcast, that the Hawks' margin for error, you know, it, both teams missing superstars, the Hawks' margin for error might be a little thinner. Does that, does that mesh? Because it feels like Drew, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton could carry the Bucks on any given night. Uh, the Hawks are a deep enough team. They can get it done. But I, I just think without Trey, they have a, a bit of a more uphill battle. As a friend of mine pointed out, a fellow Hawks fan, you know, as much of the Hawks kind of got that emotional boost game in game four where, you know, they just played like maniacs with no Trey Young in the first game without Trey Young. That felt like what the Bucks were doing in game five. That was their sort of adrenaline game. Now reality sets in, I think, for everyone, assuming Trey and Giannis are still out. If you're willing to buy that narrative or, you know, or that framework, I think that's kind of where we're at. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you underestimate the importance of a home game there for Milwaukee also and how mm -hmm. how well a bunch of those guys played. We've talked about how, you know, role players tend to play better at home, Raph, and we certainly saw that for Milwaukee. I think it's going to be a 100% one, 100 different story in Game 6, most likely. I don't know. I, I would believe so, just because the environment shifts. That being said, Milwaukee didn't lose a primary playmaker in terms of setting up other people. I think that's the difference yeah. we're talking about here. Giannis is certainly capable. We've seen him do it before, but you still got Drew Holiday. You still got Chris Middleton. So you can address that. You lose Trey Young, like Lou Williams had a blinder in game four. There's no doubt about that. But then we kind of saw him come back to earth last night. And then when that happens, who do you have to set up other people to get them clean looks? Brooke Lopez isn't getting 16 shots. 
if you put him on the Hawks without Trey Young, I don't think he's getting the 16 shots that he got last night in terms of the quality of those looks. So I think that's the big question for Atlanta going into game six. Yeah, you make a great point there. You really do. I mean, Trey Young obviously is the engine for the Hawks, and losing both superstars is devastating for both teams, but it is different. The impact is different, and, and I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah, even for Capella without Trey, I mean, it, it hurts their pick-and-roll chemistry and all those lobs he gets at the rim mm-hmm. and uh, takes Lou Williams out of the second unit, kind of messes with the chemistry of the bench. He he had his own great chemistry going with a Kongu, so now you've got to somehow revamp the second right. unit. So it, it has these cascading problems that, you're right, maybe there was that Band-Aid emotional kind of bounce-back uh, win in Game 4, but can they sustain that? I'm not sure. And it'll be interesting to see how much the home crowd impacts if Giannis is, is out again. Because, you know, the crowd chanting at him every single time he got the line felt like a sort of rallying cry for the home crowd. Got the Hawks pumped when he was missing free throws. And, it, like, you could feel them getting under the skin of the Bucks' best player. And that, to me, has a profound impact on the game. Now, you know, if that's out of it, it's more just like a normal home game. Well, I, I think that uh, from everything I've heard and everything I've heard from friends who have been there and seen on TV, that arena has been very loud. I think that's going to be there's gonna be sure. the same story on Saturday night. And before we move on from this game, it wasn't ultimately a huge difference in the game, but I have to get you guys' opinion on the flagrant foul that was called on Bogdanovich on the Chris Middleton three from the corner. I don't know if everyone saw this, but basically to review, Chris Middleton shot a three basically kicked his feet forward, as lots of shooters do, but landed on Bogdanovich's foot. Bogdanovich was on the far side of the three-point line. Middleton started on the other side of the three-point line. So Bogdanovich did come forward, but Middleton's feet kick out, land on his foot. I don't even think I'm really objecting necessarily to a foul being called there, but the notion that that's a flagrant is just absolutely absurd to me. Does anyone want to disagree with that, or did everyone agree that was just an, an outrageous flagrant foul call? I thought it was outrageous. I thought it was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. I, I'll, I'll just say it. Like I, putting my putting aside my Hawks fandom, which obviously is playing into this, I thought it was one of the silliest flagrant foul calls I've ever seen. He's I just mean, trying to he's trying to get to the shot. Like the guy kicked his feet out. In, he went into Bogdanovich's space as much as Bogdanovich went into his space. I just think it's sure foul. Yeah, I get that, but and it didn't matter because they only got three points off that possession anyways, which it would have been if it was a three shot foul. I just. Some of this officiating is just is just gotten outrageous. Raph, can you talk some sense into me, or do you agree with us? I don't know if it was outrageous, but it's quite clear between, especially when you see some of the shot fakes and then wild flailings that draw fouls, the league has an issue to address this offseason. Like, I know some things have been reported about, like, unnatural shot motions and the like, but it's gotten mm. out of control in some regards, where guys just kind of... Yeah they almost get rewarded for not even thinking about attempting a shot so much as just flailing their arms and trying to draw a foul. And I, I don't know if the game should be played that way. Like if you can con a referee into calling it, go ahead and do it. It's not the player's fault if they keep getting away with it, but right. that's clearly an issue that needs to be addressed this off season. Hopefully they do something about all of it. Yeah. That's why I, I, I don't understand criticism for Trey Young and James Harden and these guys who yeah. have, you know, ripped through side to side moves or who shift their bodies or stop start suddenly in the lane to draw that contact. Because to your point, Raph, that's just a smart basketball play. If you're going to get yeah. those fouls, put the other team over the limit and march to the free throw line that's a, a benefit to you. Of course, you're going to take advantage of that. And the league is supposedly the competition committee will be looking at a lot of those plays, but particularly the lateral movement on a jump shot, that type of thing. Um, what they can do about it, ultimately, I'm not sure. I mean, do they have to go as far as to make that an offensive foul or is it just a no call? You know, things like that, I'm not sure. To me, all these huge stoppages in play where we're reviewing things, I don't understand why they don't double, triple the staff in Secaucus and the video replay and take a lot of these things off the court mm-hmm. so that the ref's emotions aren't getting as tangled up in it and so forth. Just have six people watching the same play from every possible angle and come to a conclusion as quickly as possible. Keep the game moving and have a set standardized set of rules that are applied to every game, no matter the arena, no matter the home team, whatever the case may be. Yeah, you, you bring up replay, and I've been watching a bit, you know, the FIBA Olympic qualifiers. Something I'd like to see the NBA do is allowed so that we can hear the communication between the referee and Secaucus when they're reviewing these plays. 
That's something that FIBA does where you can actually hear them having the conversation hmm. about what hmm. they're watching on a replay. I think that transparency would really help in terms of, you know, fans and, and even, I don't know, obviously in arena, the players and coaches probably can't hear too much of that interaction, but I think that transparency would really be helpful for the league because you got people wondering what on earth these guys are watching when they review a play, then come back and tell you what they've decided. And there's been no communication in that two or three minute span. Reviews take too long. And I think if you have that transparency, maybe that would help cut down on the time a little bit too. And I think it's less of a thing in basketball than it is in like football and baseball, but just the big picture replay notion that, that what was called on the field or on the court matters is just, is very, is a problem. I think when you're evaluating a play, you should just evaluate what happened on the play instead of giving weight to what the call was, was made in the, in the split Mm -hmm. second. You know what I mean? That causes all kinds of issues in my mind too. It's the, the notion that a call stands is a flawed concept to me. You know, anytime you hear the call stands, it's like, no, what was what happened on the play? Stop. That's an excuse. You're hiding behind something there. You know, mm-hmm. what happened? Was it a foul? Was it off on this guy or that guy? You know, oh, yeah. get it right. Get it right. What was it? You know, there, there's no stands. I, I, that makes me so mad. Ryan, go well, ahead. Well, just all the more reason for what Raph was saying about transparency. I absolutely love that idea. Have have the conversation be public. Why not? You're making the call anyway. Mm-hmm. We're going to know the end result. We might as well know how we got there. And one thing that, I mean, makes me laugh, but in a bitter kind of way every time is when they bring on the former refs, you know, you get Steve Javi on there, someone who's talking about what their take on this foul might be. And they come to the complete opposite conclusion of what it's called <laughs> for different reasons. And you're just like, uh, yeah, it's, I don't understand. Yeah. The other thing specifically this year that drove me nuts, and it's probably because I watch so many Hawks games and so many Mavericks games, but I've said this before, like, I felt like Luca and Trey, for some reason, were not getting shooting fouls called when they sh- when it looked like they were in the act of shooting. And so many times the refs like, no, 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 it's on the floor. And Luca and Trey are both just like, what? That, that has always been a foul the, the entire time I've been playing basketball. And then you watch some other guys like Drew. Drew uh, Holiday had one last night where I kind of thought it was on the floor, but they ruled it shooting. And I, I don't know that Trey would have got that call. And I, I'd like to see some consistency with that because I feel like, I feel like it's just like with the thing with the, the old officials watching on the monitor and making the call. Like nobody knows what the hell is going on. <laughs> and I, I will say, in Trey Young's defense, I get where everyone's coming from by being annoyed with all the foul hunting, or if you if you want to call it that. But there have been times during these playoffs where he goes up to shoot it doesn't get the call and he still shoots it like you'll see james harden kind of jump and see if he gets the call and then kind of like flip the ball or just kind of land trey is shooting that he's trying to get a foul but he is shooting it so it should be a shooting foul with that in mind because you watch the plays where he doesn't get the call he shoots it anyways most of the time and just quickly rewinding to the middleton play i don't want to imply they did show reggie miller kicking (laughs) out like a wild kick out from the corner on one play like a, a flashback i don't want to imply that that's what middleton was doing it wasn't like a crazy kick his legs out but still the way he shoots his feet came forward and and i just also have to say the explanation i wrote it down last night from the ref that we got the defender closes out and middleton lands on his foot i was like yeah that's kind of what happened was that a flagrant foul i mean I didn't think it was like a Bruce Bowen style play because that's kind of the template, right? Right. He didn't undercut him. I got to move yeah. on from this. Sorry. And then there's the Kawhi Leonard play versus the Warriors. That that was kind of the uh, the catalyst for the change. So was that Zaza Pachulia? I believe. Yes. yes, it was. The ghost of Zaza haunting the Hawks. So that that's that's why those plays have been called more flagrant fouls in recent years. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like they tried to like cut and paste this play onto that template and it was a reach. I feel like they're not taking intent into consideration. You know, like was Bogey trying to get in his space and trying to sprain his ankle? No. That's annoying. 
No. Okay, I got to move on because it just makes me <laughs> mad. Um, so anyways, Nate McMillan says Trey Young will be a game-time decision on Saturday, which really doesn't tell us much. And no word on Giannis as we sit down to record this. I guess at this point, I'd be surprised if either guy played. Does anyone have a final hunch on those guys before we move on to the West? I think Trey's playing. I think Hawks win. I don't, I don't think Giannis is going to play, but I, I feel like Trey's going to play. I assume they're both out. I'm with Raph. I think a bone bruise is something you can't kind of just tough up and play through. Uh, and just real quickly, Matt, you had mentioned Cam Reddish. He is on a minute limit last we heard. So that's why he's stuck in the mid 20s. Okay. But so Trey going out there and doing pregame warmups and trying to play last night doesn't do any, do anything for you. No, I mean, but he tried to do that before game four too, right? So no, it does. I mean, obviously he's going to try to play if he can, but he just sat out two critical playoff games. Will an extra day of rest help a bone bruise that much? I don't know. I will put a jersey on the line against any of you that want to take it. (laughs) Trey Young's playing Saturday night. I'll decline. I'll take it. Oh, wow. Here we go. That wasn't supposed to happen. You're all supposed to be scared. (laughs) Shirzy on the line. Shirzy on the line. Shirzy on the line. Trey Young sits. Raf gets the Shirzy of his choosing. And if Trey Young plays, Raf has to put one in the mail. Puts his Shirzy where his mouth is. I like that. I didn't have the guts. (laughs) (laughs) And Raf is the only one that didn't say anything. You two were both like, nah, he's not playing. (laughs) He's laying back. I don't think he's going to play. I thought I made my point kind of clear earlier i think he did say that, that. Did say that. yeah he did you know? steve was thinking about golden tea when you were talking about that right i was looking at it. my updated world ranking it's like falling like a rock <laughs> refreshing he's refreshing steve's like i gotta get to the machine i'm dropping i didn't play yesterday and it just it's just ruined everything reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Okay. Are we still talking about this this game or are we moving on to... No, we're moving. We're moving. And I'm going to quickly say this. July 4th just got louder. Celebrate Independence Day with IndyCar at mid-Ohio at noon Eastern. Then NASCAR lights up Road America at 2.30 Eastern, only on NBC. Okay, guys, the Clippers are headed to Cancun, as we say. So let's do a fantasy postmortem on some of their key players. We start with Paul George. He's going to play the upcoming season at age 31. He put up some good numbers when he was playing this year, including a career-high 5.2 assists per game, but missed 18 regular season games. And when you look at all of this, obviously you can't ignore his playoff performance. 27 points per game, nearly 10 boards per game, 5.5 assists, some of that without Kawhi Leonard. So during the regular season, a top 25 guy in nine category leagues, Raph, where are you willing to draft Paul George in fantasy, assuming you are willing to draft him? I would take him within the top 30 maybe on the towards the back end of that but i think a lot of his fantasy value is going to be based on what Kawhi leonard does in all honesty like if paul george is the unquestioned number one option he'll yeah. have a higher usage but i don't know if at this point in his career that would be best for him but i think if he's like a 1b to a 1a i think that would be better because then he can do a little bit more defensively i think as the unquestioned number one i have my doubts but I would still take him within like the top 25, top 30 personally. 
I I agree. <laughs> I'm. Uh, what what did you say he was, Matt? In in nine cat ranks this year, I believe twenty twenty something on twenty okay, second on okay. a per yeah. game. So yeah, I mean that that feels sustainable to me, right? He's still thirty. 31 or 30, 31 yeah. so yeah, 31. he's on the front front end of 31 yeah i don't feel like he's turned a corner into clear decline maybe you know he's not the top 10 guy that we've seen in years past uh kind of falling it's not a one-to-one but kind of like jimmy butler in my mind has f- fallen you know a, a, a tear down uh but paul george has still been durable with the exception of last season he he doesn't miss a ton of games uh stays on the court and He's coming off a very good postseason. A lot of where I draft him will, will hinge on uh, Kawhi's whereabouts and whether he comes back. But with or without Kawhi, I think top 30 would be a, a pretty safe spot if you're asking me to draft him in the second round uh, and make decline. If Kawhi's there, I'm not drafting either player. No Paul George, no Kawhi Leonard. If Kawhi's gone, I'm, I might consider Paul George, but something tells me that I will be unable to actually pull the trigger and do it because I have a, right. I have an issue. I have a personal <laughs> issue. <laughs> it's my thing, guys. It's my issue. Okay. I recognize that. It's my issue. It's not you playoff P it's me. <laughs> Interestingly, Raph wants Kawhi to be there for Paul George's fantasy value. Steve wants Kawhi gone. So yet again, this, this rift between you two is just that growing. Jersey is the just... jersey's on the line. I just, I can Dude, feel I'm just this... psyched. I'm finally going to get my Michael Porter jersey. Like, if we're being honest, his game has changed since the broken leg he suffered, you know, a few years back with Team uh-huh. USA. And I think he was talking about that. I think either after game five or I think it was after game five when he was talking about that, how he had to adjust his game and how he approached things. You know, he can, as we've seen, he can still put a team on his back if need be. But I think if we're talking about like 82 games, I would want him paired up with another superstar, personally. I just think he can have a better all-around impact on a team if he's in that spot, as opposed to being told, you're the number one guy without a doubt. You need, we need you to get us buckets. So I think that can take away a little bit from him defensively, but that's just me. And, and hurt his efficiency, probably shooting the ball. Meanwhile, Kawhi was fantastic when he played, obviously, a top-five fantasy guy on a per-game basis. But he missed 20 regular season games and then eight more in the postseason. Wasn't available when the Clippers season ended. Just turned 30 a few days ago. So first, happy birthday, Kawhi. But what's the move on a 30-year-old Kawhi Leonard next season, Ryan? Let somebody else draft him. I'm not going there. I, I you know, he, he did play in back-to-backs this year and so forth, but that was almost because he was publicly shamed for having not done so in previous years. And there were reports that his teammates were upset with him because he was getting coddled by the co- by you know the former coaching staff under Doc. And so I don't know how much that pressure. I mean, Kawhi is one of the best players in the league at insulating himself from what other people think and just going his own way. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's back to a planned rest. I mean, especially coming through another postseason where he gets hurt because of wear and, you know, potentially because of wear and tear and so forth. I absolutely think that DMPs will pile up. I I want nothing to do with them. Yeah. I mean, if he missed 20 games this year, he's going to miss 25 next year if he's healthy. So I have zero interest in Kawhi. Well, um, I agree with the concern about the, the time off and whatnot. I think I would go if you're at like the end of the first round and you have that first that last pick and the first pick of the second round, I think I'd take a flyer there just because you can pair him with a, another guy who you feel more more secure with in terms of playing. But yeah, if you're like mid first round, I would let someone else have those potential problems. Like obviously we don't know if he's gonna opt out of his contract, become a free agent. That will obviously have an impact on how he's used in terms of the coaching staff and the, and the training staff or wherever he's playing, too. But, yeah, I think if we're talking first round, I probably wouldn't do it unless I, it was in a snake draft and I was towards the bottom of the first. Yeah, to your point, Ryan, I wouldn't be surprised the way his season ended, given that the season ended with him hurt, I would not surprise to see Kawhi load management come roaring back Oh yeah, after kind of that brief glorious stretch where it was like, wow, what, what, what world are we living in? Like Kawhi Leonard is not sitting back to backs. It, it looked for a minute there. Like those who drafted him were absolute geniuses, I guess you could say, but 
I don't know. Yeah, doubling down again this year seems risky. I guess for me, there will come a point where I get tempted to take him, but I think that point is slightly past the point where you mentioned Raf. But I don't know. I haven't really examined where that cutoff is for me yet. Yeah, I haven't either. Like Raf was talking about, if he's sitting there with the first pick of the second round, I mean, I'm at least going to stop and think about it. Well, because you're gonna, cr- your team is going to crush people when he plays, you know. So that's kind of the you have to consider your league setup also, and does it make sense? I mean, if Kawhi Leonard's your second best player on your roster when he's playing, your team is going to be a serious handful, most likely. Go ahead, Ryan. I think you had a point. Oh, well, I was just going to reiterate something, but I'll stick with what you're talking about, which is if you're in that range, the other guys with his ceiling are probably going to have similar baggage. You're going to be talking about Kyrie Irving, maybe Joel Embiid falls a little bit. So. You know, it's going to be that kind of asterisk range where do you take a safer guy who's probably not going to miss many games or do you roll the dice and hope right. that someone stays healthy? Uh, but Kawhi just makes me so nervous. I mean, the, the fresh reports, for instance, that he's upset with the Clippers coaching staff and medical staff for for kind of downplaying his injury. And we know that that's the same t- similar type of situation that led to his rift with the Spurs. So any medical staff around this guy is going to be walking on eggshells because their job might depend on ensuring that he stays healthy and that they capitulate to whatever he thinks is going on with with his own body. So, yeah, DMP galore. I'm extremely nervous. Well, and the, the other thing working in Kawhi's favor from a fantasy standpoint, though, is everybody misses games now. Everybody is resting. Everybody, nobody is really reliable to play 82 anymore. And there's a couple guys that do it, but, I mean, there's so many guys that miss so many games then maybe maybe Kawhi's not as big of a liability as he would have been three years ago when more guys were playing more games. Yeah, I can see that side of it too. I guess it, I guess it go both ways. Go now, ahead, Ralph. I personally don't know if we're going to get back to marquee guys playing all 82 until maybe the 2022-23 season, to be honest with you. Hmm. Because it seems like they're trying to have an 82-game schedule next season on the standard calendar, so to speak. And that's going to mean another short offseason. So with regard to Kawhi specifically, who knows what's going to happen, like how severe the injury is, how much time he's going to have to take for rehab. Then you're talking about a ramping up process in terms of getting the skill skill level and the conditioning back up to par. Who knows when we're going to see him in October. You would hope that he would be ready to go when the season starts, but we don't really know that. I'm working off the assumption they're going to go back to 82 games next year. I personally hope not. I I, I kind of like 72 yeah. just to get these guys some rest, maybe limit those back-to-backs to begin Please. with. But that TV money talks a lot louder than anything I have to say. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Give me 72 games starting on Christmas. That's what I want. Yeah. I, I love that idea. Could be mm-hmm. 72 in that uh, mid-season tournament that they've been talking about, which would recoup a lot of that cash that they'd otherwise be leaving on the table. Yeah. yeah. I also think we're going to hear... Kawhi's having knee surgery like any any day now. I I feel like that's Ooh. going to happen. Or at least that's that, that's what Skip Bayless said on FS1. If he... and I know I know <laughs> I know I know. Raph is shaking his head for those but who are listening. There he's mad. Kawhi's mad at the medical staff. He there was no chance he was going to play in that series. Probably wasn't going to play in the finals. And I'm waiting for the. Wrote uh, the NBC Sports Edge blurb. Kawhi Leonard had knee surgery yesterday. I would almost say if Kawhi Leonard does have knee surgery, Raf has to send Steve a, jer- a jersey. But we're already one in, so we're not going to double up on this episode. I don't have an issue with Steve saying that. I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it. Okay. <laughs> uh, one more name to... Uh, focus on with the Clippers. Reggie Jackson was with LA on a one-year, two-point-three million deal. Was not a good fantasy option during the regular season, but was an absolute revelation for this team in the playoffs. Nearly eighteen points per game, three and a half assists, almost a steal per game, three point one threes. He shot it well from the field, forty-eight and a half percent, forty-one percent on threes as well. And as I type out that stat line, Steve, it almost screams as good as he was. It almost screams better in real life than fantasy, even if Reggie could somehow play that well. I'm super skeptical on this one. It just feels like he caught fire in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that he's ever going to be relevant in fantasy again. I mean, he was 
barely relevant in fantasy when he was relevant in fantasy. But man, what an awesome postseason he had and what a cool story and really happy for him. And you know, I went from really not being in, into Reggie Jackson to to really rooting for him and becoming a fan. And that's saying a lot because he plays for the Clippers and I'm I'm not a huge Clippers guy. So I I love Reggie Reggie Jackson's story this year. But i if I draft him in fantasy, it's gonna be at the very end of the draft. I'm I'm with Steve. I'm not very interested. I mean, I looked at his games played over the past five seasons. He's had 52, 45, 82, 31, and 67. Uh, so it's 22 and a half DMPs per year on average. He's 31 years old. I feel like he's going to get overpaid in reality after this postseason, and I think he's going to get overdrafted in fantasy. To his credit, he's been ridiculously good from three-point land. I think he shot 43% from deep this year, which was by far a career best. A guy who came into the league shooting 20-25% for the first you know, three, four years of his career. So credit to him. He's improved his game, turned things around, but I'm not banking on him for fantasy next year. Yeah, he's a late-round guy at best for me. I think he would be better served going back to the Clippers. Because we saw what happened in Detroit where they asked him to be kind of a marquee guy for that team. But to be honest, that happened with Blake Griffin as well. And you're, when you're with a, a franchise that's winning, I think that can really help things. And he was in a better spot in terms of the rotation where they weren't really re- relying on him too much. I think early in the season, the thought was that Reggie wasn't going to be in the rotation eventually. Obviously, he played well enough to change that and ended up being a marquee guy for them in the playoffs, uh, especially once Kawhi went down. But mm-hmm. yeah, I can't really put too much trust in him from a fantasy standpoint, because as Ryan pointed out, we're talking about 82 games versus the postseason. you know, and what do you play like 20 games? I want to say in these playoffs. So that's a bit different than um, yeah, 19 games. So that's a bit different than relying on someone over the course of an 82 game schedule. Like you can probably get away with them late, but I wouldn't do anything ahead of that. Quickly, before we go, the other guys on this roster, you know, Marcus Morris, who, by the way, I just looked up his contract. It's an eye-catching one. Uh, <laughs> he's around for a while for the Clippers. You also have, if it's a Zubats, Serge Ibaka has a player option for next year, so we don't know the story there fully. Batum is a free agent to be. Uh, let's just assume, hypothetically, all these guys are back with L.A. Ryan, are any of these guys worthwhile late-round fantasy flyers for you? Not of the group you just mentioned. Uh, maybe Zubats, if I'm desperate for a center in the late rounds. You know, not the worst option. A center who's not going to kill your free throw percentage is always a plus. But again, he, you know, a lot of teams will play him off the court potentially in various matchups. You never know game to game quite what you're going to get. Yeah, none, none of those guys jump out as upside, right? So usually at that point in the draft when you're considering Marcus Morris or, God forbid, Nick Batum or something, uh, there's you might as well just gamble on some youth, some upside. So no, no for me. Like Terrence Mann? There you go. Yeah, there's there's a good name. Love him. Batum actually had pretty good value. Though. Batum did. I don't think I would. He had good value early, but then kind of tailed off when they changed the lineup. So, but yeah, yeah. I think... If anything, Zubats may be the one I would potentially gamble on late just because of the availability factor. Like before this recent knee injury, he hadn't missed a game in, I want to say, at least two years. So you know he's going to be out there. He won't mm-hmm. get you much in terms of scoring, but he can get you some rebounds, maybe a block per game or something like that. But, yeah, I, I think Mor- Morris was a bit disappointing from a fantasy standpoint. I think a lot of us expected more from him even with Paul and Kawhi on the court where you're not getting the opportunities that you got in New York to go for your own offense. I think we still expected more from him this season and he really didn't step up as we expected. Maybe that knee injury that he was coming off of had something to do with that. So let's see what he looks like in a preseason. But yeah, I don't really see too much there that I'd be wanting to gamble on. I know Steve mentioned Terrence Mann. I think that would be one because I think he earned a lot more playing Mm -hmm. time with his production in the playoffs. Yeah, that's an interesting flyer. It feels like with Serge Ibaka, we really saw the maybe the beginning of a decline phase this year. He's 31 now. Uh, he's going to be 32 at the start of next year. Only 23 minutes per game. The second lowest of his career since he was a rookie. Missed 31 games. 
averaged just 11 points and seven boards with a block and a three. We just have seen he's kind of been serviceable for a while now, but he's really pushing the limits now of now just being a guy with absolutely no ceiling who's not doing a lot to lift your squad. Does anyone... I feel like Serge Ibaka is probably going to get drafted next season in fantasy. Steve came. T- Steve left. He's so upset about the Serge Ibaka thing. He left, guys. I, yeah, I, I, I'm out on Serge. Don't let me draft him late. He's gotten to a point where he's too boring. I like the guy. I've liked the player over the years, but I'm out in fantasy. Yeah. Athlete or not, back injuries when you're getting older is like a telltale sign that father time is undefeated. So, yeah. yeah. I can only imagine what you're attempting to do when you're a high-level athlete and you're coming off of a back surgery. That's going right. to be a tough thing because, yeah. you know, we'll see. Like, I don't know if I would draft him personally. But like you said, I think someone someone in a lot of these leagues, people will take a flyer on him. Yeah, someone's going to need blocks and Agreed. look at him as a guy who won't really hurt you anywhere and and take a shot on him. But totally, Matt, I think the decline, when you said that, I was like, that's a very nice uh, nice way to, to frame this argument. <laughs> I think, yeah, a, a serious back injury that shut down his season at his age. You know, any reduction in his mobility, he's not like the greatest athlete out on the court most nights anyway. So if he's now dealing with any sort of lingering back injury, forget it. So, I, you know, beyond peaked fantasy-wise, I, I don't even know that he'll be rosterable next year. All right. Well, by the way, I have a report from uh, Steve that his phone overheated. So he is <laughs> he is listed as day to day with an overheated phone because <laughs> he was playing playing Golden Tea simultaneously or something. <laughs> well, probably. Let's be honest. Processor be honest. can't handle it. He's, he's got to keep the ranking. Yeah, the ranking isn't going to boost itself, Ryan. <laughs> okay, Game Six of the Hawks and Bucks will be on Saturday night. I want to say I'm looking forward to that, but I am half dreading it. But we will be back to talk about that, whatever went down in that series next week. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. We're back on Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week, as we will soon know who is meeting the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. I want to say thanks to everyone listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube. Ryan, Raf, Steve, who can't hear me right now. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week and happy fourth. Thanks, Matt. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.